Amen. Thank you all. Good morning. Sure glad each and every one of you are here today. Um, we had our first church in the dirt back under the new arena, so we had our first service under the cover today. So, yeah, that was exciting, fun. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you um, to turn with me. First, we'll just go ahead and start in John 4.35, and then we're going to be going several places. So um, hopefully you'll be able to kind of jump back and forth um, as we make our way through this. I've got some announcements, and I'll save those for the end here when we get finished. But uh, let's open up in prayer as we come to the Word of God together today. Father God, we do want to thank you, Lord, uh, for your faithfulness. What an incredible gift, Lord, uh, we have in your salvation. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for your presence here this morning in this place. I thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. We of Christians have just come here today to assemble, to be together, to encourage one another, to fellowship, Lord, to hear from the word and to, to just be encouraged today. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness in our life, for your truth of your word. And Lord, now we just ask God that you would speak by your Holy Spirit to each and every one of our hearts here today, knowing exactly where each of us are. Thank you for your faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to finish up with our current series on the harvest. And um, I want to start where we spent just a little time last week in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets this Samaritan woman in an untimely and uncommon way. He meets her just the same way we meet individuals in our own lives. And he tells his disciples after they come back from bringing lunch to him, and they were wondering why he wouldn't eat, Jesus says, I've got food to eat that you don't know anything about. And he says, do not say that there are yet four more months, then comes the harvest. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And as those from the Samaritan village began to make their way out to meet Jesus, simply from the testimony of this Samaritan woman, the power of our testimony is absolutely incredible. And many in that city, in that community, or that village came to believe in Christ Jesus, not only from her testimony, but after they've also met and spoke with Jesus. And he spent a few days there with them. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 9, starting in verse 35, we mentioned this last week as well, as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, once again, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we continue studying about the harvest today, of course, Jesus is speaking not of just the harvest of wheat and hay and our calf crop, our corn, whatever it may be, wherever you live. He's talking about his harvest, and his harvest is the harvest of the souls of people. And that we as Christians have been invited to do something absolutely incredible by God. We've been invited to be a part of something supernatural, and that is the resurrection of a dead person spiritually 
to someone who becomes alive in Christ, who becomes a new creation. And through that process, there is the sowing of the seed. There is the watering of the seed. There is the, the, the person who's there at the time of the gospel salvation experience for the individual. When the regeneration takes place, the new life is birthed. And I want to, to answer a question that some of you say, well, John, why? Why in the world do we need to be involved in the harvest? Um, because the harvest is the most rewarding thing to be a part of. But also we understand that, that there's the planting and there's all the things that have to happen before there ever is a harvest. But our purpose here on life is not simply just to live in and of ourselves. That as a Christian, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, one who is taken from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the glorious sun, something incredible has happened in your life and has changed. You are literally a new creation. You're, you're brand new. You're reborn. You have a new spirit about you. Your, your mind has not necessarily been regenerated, as we'll get into that in chapter 12 of Romans next week. That's a process of renewing your mind by the word of God, and you become more and more like Christ in the sanctification process. But we have been invited to be a part of something absolutely incredible. In fact, something of eternal value, far greater than any value of anything that you do here upon this earth. So if you have your Bibles, I want to answer the question to why this morning. Number one, we're going to learn more about the sovereignty of God. That our God is absolutely, completely sovereign in all things. And yet, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to use the body of Christ as his means of reaching a lost world with the gospel message. That's not the way that I would have done it. I can promise you that. That's probably not the way you would have done it had you um, been the one making those decisions. But nonetheless, it's the way that God has chosen to accomplish his will upon the earth. And that is through the church, the body of Christ, the true believer, the one who has been regenerated by a, the Holy Spirit's work in their life. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19 this morning. And I want to help you see and understand the magnitude of the why. This morning in church, at Church in the Dirt, uh, I was sharing a story about laying up treasures in heaven, not upon the earth, and, and why that's so important, because we understand that this gift we've been given called life um, has a duration to it. It has a spring, it has a, a summer, it has a fall, and it has a winter. Every single human being who lives out the duration of a lifetime is going to be a part of one of those seasons. Some, no doubt, unfortunately, die within the spring season of life. Some make it to the summer, some to the fall, but there's many, if they live the spans of humanity, 70-some years or plus. Um, I know I hit a nerve when I said 70-some years. <laughs> some of you are thinking, oh, my word, I'm at the end. Well, not necessarily. But let's just say this, you're drawing nearer to the finish line. And what that means for the believer, as we're going to get into next week, that this regeneration changes the way that you even look at death. It changes the way you look at life. Death does not have the fear or, or, or the anxiety to it tied to what it is to an unbeliever. The unknown, we have something we know about death. It's, life is way greater and way bigger than what we know as this season of time between the day you were born and the day that they'll say during your obituary, the day that you died, that the culmination of your life is far greater than just those days, especially for the believer. It's incredible to think about what God has called you to and called you 
um, 4. It's, it's absolutely incredible. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. We touched base on a few of these passages as, as we were going through some different passages in Matthew 24, speaking about what time it is. But I, I want to read you um, just a few verses. There's lots we could read that I'd like to go over, but for the sake of time this morning, we're going to look at two. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read here verses 6 through 14. And let's just follow along. If you have your Bible, just follow along with with me or maybe hand it to your neighbor so they can read along with me with us as well. In the sixth verse of chapter 19, we understand there's some things that have already happened. We know that, that Satan, that um, he, he has been defeated. We know that the Antichrist and the, and, the, and the false religious system now is being brought down and that Christ is now going to rule and reign. But there are those that are in heaven not only the martyrs who have been martyred during the tribulation period, and those will be there, but all of us who have died in Christ and those that have been caught up in with Christ are in heaven and we're waiting now the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. And here in chapter 19, this is absolutely incredible to think about that John, um, the apostle John on the island of Patmos there, um, over there in um, the Grecian islands, uh, they're exiled there because of his, his uh, testimony of Jesus Christ. He's now the last apostle upon the earth. He is there and he is in exile. And that's where he's spending his days. And he has this vision, this revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of man. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning to the very end, we're seeing the revelation of Christ, not only from what he looked like in his, in his glorious um, um, incarnation there, his glorious state in heaven in the throne room, as John describes this, this Jesus that we know as Savior and Lord. He sees him now in the throne room of God, and now we're going to make our way through the book of Revelation. And through this revelation, in, in the 19th chapter, we're now coming to the culmination to the end of this age that we know as right now, the age of the Gentile age, which is going to be the fourth and final kingdom, this Roman, this revived Roman kingdom. It's, it's at the end of this now, before the rock that Daniel talked about in his vision that came down and destroyed all of the Gentile kingdoms of the earth, that Christ is going to set up his kingdom on the earth now. And this is what we see in heaven. This is absolutely incredible that John, almost 2,000 years ago, um, is, is, is getting this revelation. And what he sees here is absolutely astonishing. In verse 6, John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Now we've already read about the, those from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation that are gathered there in heaven. Those that have been saved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that are now part of this body of Christ, that, that are now in heaven with Christ. We're, we've already read about this. Those that have come out of the tribulation period, the saints that have been martyred and so on and so forth. And John hears now the sound of a multitude, a mighty multitude. If you've ever been to a great fall somewhere, I've never been to Niagara Falls, but I've been to some falls before. And the water, the roar that that water makes is absolutely incredible. 
And John describes it in this way that the voices that he hears are so numerous in number that it makes a roaring sound like the rushing of a mighty water, like water just rushing. And he gives the description um, like mighty peals of thunder that are crying out. And this is what they were saying. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, almighty reigns. We're waiting for the day where Christ Jesus is going to reign supreme upon the earth. It's coming, praise God. Right now, the hope of Christ in all of us is that he will reign in our lives. He is the king of glory, and he's reigning in here, although to a degree of that which we are obedient to him, he is to reign in us. He's to be the king. He's to be seated on the throne of my life, and he reigns in the hearts of his people currently, but one day he will reign upon the earth in absolute, total, complete control. There will be no bending the rule. There'll be nothing. It will be reigned by Christ physically upon the earth where he will rule with an iron scepter, the Bible says. And we, now listen, I want you to grasp this. This is why the harvest is so important. This is why the church of Christ must understand how incredibly valuable they are in the work of the kingdom. If you have a crop that is desperately in need of being harvested and it is ripe, it doesn't matter if it's a set of calves, it doesn't matter if it's your corn in, in, northern, country, in northern states primarily, if it's wheat, if you're a wheat farmer and you know your crop is ready and you're ready to bring in the harvest, it doesn't matter what it is. You know how critical it is that when the crop is ready, it's time to bring in the crop and that the work has got to be done and it will not be done setting in the recliner in the air-conditioned house that you live in. In fact, we know that labor means work, but it's a glorious, rejoicing kind of work. When you are harvesting a crop, it is a time of rejoicing and celebration for the hard work has already been done and now you are basically bringing in what is going to be the payment of all of your work and labor and striving and blood, sweat and tears and the trusting on the water from God pour out on heaven and everything that's happened, you now are at the harvest time. What an incredible time it is at harvest time. And there's an urgency at harvest. If your wheat crop is ready, I know there is such a thing called insurance, and we know what insurance is. Your crop could get hailed out. It may be ready, but that hailstorm comes on, a major, major, major monsoon rain lays that wheat on the ground. Good luck getting that one harvested. So there's an urgency. And that is what we have to understand as the body of Christ. There is an urgency for us to fulfill God's plan for his kingdom on the earth. While he is ruling in heaven, he's reigning in our hearts here, and he's building his kingdom here upon the earth. But he's doing it through the church. That's you and me, the body of Christ. And we have been brought into this blessed opportunity called harvest. Not only are we sowing seed, not only are we watering throughout our daily lives, but we're also a part of the harvest work. And this is his harvest, and this is his crop, and we have all been invited to come and work the harvest. Because the payments are incredible. But I want to read this to you. So John hears this in the 19th chapter. It's a roar. 
It is like thundering. These are voices of, of thousands upon ten thousands. And they're doing something. They're crying out now. They're singing. They're, 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 they're crying out. And they say, hallelujah for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. Listen, this is what's so incredible about the revelation of John. John is seeing all the way into the future at the end of the age. He already sees, guess who's there? Christ is there. Guess who else is there? When John hears a multitude and he hears a roaring and he hears a crying out and he hears these words being said, do you know the word of God is, is true? That not one dot, not one stroke of the letter will cease to come to fulfillment and it will endure forever and ever and ever. Did you know that? What John is hearing in heaven, this is so incredible and if this doesn't give you a goose bump, you probably need some help. But listen, when John hears this multitude, this has already happened. Do you understand? John is seeing into the future with a God who is outside of time and who is outside of space and who is sovereign in all things. And God is allowing John to see the vision into the future of time. And John is hearing a multitude in heaven around the throne room of Almighty God. And he's hearing these multitudes of people. And they're crying out in unison together as they're looking at the King of glory, their Savior, their Redeemer, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb, all of these things, the Savior of the world, Christ himself. They are now crying out to him. Listen to what they say. And they're also going on, says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, who is the bride of Christ, friend? The church is the bride of Christ. And the bride has made herself ready, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You know what John is hearing? He's hearing something that not only is going to be spoken to Christ, but John hears it in the forward sense of eternity from eternity. John is there in the throne room of God when this is taking place. And dear Christian friend, one of the voices who is crying this out to God, who he is hearing, guess who that is? If you are here today and you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, dear Christian, you are one of the voices who is crying out that the Apostle John is hearing 2,000 years ago of an event that's going to take place at the end of the age called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. That is incredible. You say, John, are we going to say that? It's in the Word of God. When we stand before Christ and we see all that He has done for us and all that He has prepared for us and what He has provided for us in salvation, we will cry out for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. We are going to cry out those words. We're going to say, let us rejoice and let us exalt and give Him glory. We're going to say those words. John already sees and hears you and I in the throne room of God, dear Christian. That is incredible. It's incredible. You're there. Praise God. By his grace and his mercy, I will be there. 
What an incredible thought to think about. You see, where am I in Scripture? You're right there. Praise God. And then it says this, And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the two words of God. Then I fell down, John said, at his feet and worshipped him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and, and one of your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, he says. John falls down at this individual's feet. He says, don't do that. I'm not worthy of worship. The lamb is the only one to be worshiped. I'm one of your brothers. John is actually getting this talked to from one of the brothers in Christ there in heaven. Then I want you to read down just a, just a little bit further. And then John talks about this. This is now Jesus coming at the second coming. And the whole world is going to see Jesus Christ coming. I want you to see this. Then he says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. John now sees heaven open. There's a white horse and sitting on it, one is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. He is love, guys. I hear this all the time today in the day of, of this inclusiveness. And you need to hear this, and you're going to catch this from people all the time. People say, well, God loves. That's what God does. God loves the sinner. God did already demonstrate his love for the sinner. See, he already sacrificed his son for the sinner. He demonstrated his love. So people say, well, God loves all people. So it doesn't matter what we do, who we are, where we've come from, how we live our lives. This is the big word of the day. God loves us anyway. Now listen, hold on. God, by his very nature, is love. It's not that he loves, he is love. But God is also a God of justice. And his justice demands his wrath. And so for those in our world today in this inclusiveness who say, well, God loves us just as we are with absolutely no repentance, no new life, no regeneration, we're good with God, they're lying. God is love. It's not that he loves, he is love. But God also demands, because he is just, that the sin of men has got to be dealt with. It has to be judged. And so God first initiated the sacrificial system of animals that the shedding of blood would wipe away the sins of man and women to institute what his plan was to take away the sin of mankind. And then that came to an end and then he sent his own son, the Lamb of God, where he sacrificed the only perfect true lamb who could take away the sins of men. God says, I'm going to demonstrate my love to a fallen humanity. I'm going to demonstrate it in that I will die for you in your place. And so if humans do not recognize that the only means of salvation is not just because God love is love, but it's something God did. And that I need to respond to what Jesus Christ did for me. There's a response that has to happen. I have to recognize that my sin is what made me wrong with God to begin with and why God is going to judge me. But when I recognize that he died for me in my place, I now trust in what Jesus did. And then by doing so, I now say, God, I trust and believe by faith in what you provided. And now I'm not going to work my way to you or live my life any way I want to. I'm going to trust in your provision of salvation for me. 
I trust in you, Jesus, in your death, burial, and your resurrection. And in doing so, God says, I'm going to do something supernatural. There's going to be a brand new birth that happens in the life of everyone who believes upon the Son. And we believe in him, and God sends his spirit to live inside of us, and we really literally are made brand new on the inside. Talking about my soul, my destination, my position, all those things are made different. And I trust in that, but that doesn't mean if I did that, that I continue to live like I lived before I ever encountered Christ. If that's the case, I don't understand, appreciate, or even begin to, to, to acknowledge what Jesus did. The payment of his, of his death, the, 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 the sacrifice that he made came at a very high cost. And what happens oftentimes in Christendom is there's many people who are, who are in a church somewhere. There's never been a regeneration They've never truly been saved by the blood of Jesus. It's available, but they've never truly been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And what happens is, as a Christian, we can live out this godly life only by means of the Holy Spirit leading and directing us, because you can't live a Spirit-filled life without the Spirit of God leading and directing your life. It's impossible for you to do. So oftentimes we have churches with many people who have never been regenerated who are not living any different than they did last week. Why? Because there's no new life. And so the world looks at the church and says, well, the church lives like we do, so I guess God loves us all. God is love. He demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us us. See what it is, it's, it's leaving my life and grabbing a hold of Christ. He is the only salvation. He's it. And so there is the wrath of God that's coming upon the earth. And for all those who simply believe that God is love and they're good with God and God is great and God is good, he's all those things. But his justice demands a payment of sin because he's holy, he's pure, and he's righteous. That's why it says without holiness, no one will ever see God. Well, how in the world do you think that we become holy? Because the holiest of all holies, Christ himself, the spirit of God indwells us and we received his righteousness. You stand before God today, not based on your merit, but based on Christ's merit. We are here. We are in heaven. It's, it's here. How incredible is this? And they see, a, John sees a white horse. The one sitting on it's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. He is coming as the judge of the world. And he is going to smite the unrighteous whew, for their rebellion and their rejection of Christ the King. Not because he is a vengeful God, but because he provided the way of salvation and men have rejected that. So now they're on their own merit and God judges them according to their sin. And his sin always requires a death for payment. That's what happens. Moving right along here, he sees this horse he says in verse 12, his eyes are like the flame of fire. 
Sounds like chapter 1 here in Revelation. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Word of God. And the armies of heaven, listen to this, here we are again. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, which is symbolic of holiness, purity, righteousness, that we are that in the eyes of God because of the Son. We now, the armies of heaven, are following him on white horses. We are not going to do a thing. He is going to judge the world. And by the word of his mouth, he will simply say a word and it will all be done. You're there. If you're a Christian, dear friend, already written almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, he sees the vision into the future of the revelation of what is to come. He hears a multitude like the thundering of a mighty, mighty thunder in rushing waters. And dear Christian friend, your voice is among the multitude who will be singing and crying out this very thing. Not only that, dear friend, you are one of the ones arrayed in white who is shining and pure, who will be coming back with the king of glory when he comes again to judge this world. You will be coming with him. I, by his grace, his mercy, and his love will be coming with him. That is incredible. But this is another reason why the harvest is so important. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 in verses 11. Through 15. I'll tell you something else that's incredible about that passage. That there are those there who have not yet heard the gospel. Yet. Not yet. I'll tell you what else is, in, is incredible here. That some of those who are making this mighty roar, some of those there, will be there, dear Christian, because you sowed seed, because you watered a plant, and because you were there when the harvest was given by Christ, and you were part of that. Some of those voices that, you will, that John heard there, dear Christian, will be a result of you joining God in his harvest field. That is incredible. That's incredible. Because of your testimony, because of your stance, because of the way you live your life to honor God in a world that is dishonoring to Christ, you are honoring Christ in the way that you live, in the things that you say, in the way that you work, in all that you do. Your, your desire is to honor and please the God who gave you this salvation. And because of your testimony, and because of your witness, and because of the trivialness of the labor of working in the fields, whether it's scattering seed, or bringing water, or maybe you're there when the harvest comes in, and you get to rejoice with a brother or sister who is regenerated by the sovereign work of God in their life, someone will be in heaven, someone will be calling out, someone will be crying out, God, please, for the work that you have done in the field of his harvest. That's a reward. 
Now, let me show you the other end of the spectrum. In Revelation chapter 20, we know all of the tribulation judgments have been poured out on the earth. Now Christ comes again, just like he said he would. Feet standing on the Mount of Olives, centered right there in Israel, where everything is wrapped around in this day and age. This Jesus, leaving from the Mount of Olives, is coming back exactly the way that he left, according to what the Word of God says, and you and I will be a part of coming with him. And he will come and set his feet on the Mount of Olives. Been there, seen it. He is coming to that location, still there today. Trees that are still there today from the time of Christ, walking upon the earth, it's still there. It's it's waiting now for the King to come. We will be coming with him, but listen to the judgment now of what happens to those who have rejected, who are not in Christ. This is why, dear friend, we do this. This is why we do it. He, he begins to write here. There is going to be a great white throne judgment. Dear Christian, you will not stand before God on your merits of salvation at the great white throne judgment. That's already been sealed, done, and dealt with. But you will stand before God at the bema seat of Christ where you will receive rewards for what you have done working for the king and his kingdom. And you will spend eternity enjoying those rewards, whatever those things are and how they're going to work. And the way that we rule and reign with Christ, it's all part of that. He tells us in his word about it. Should it really encourage you? And then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, John says, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. See, God knows all of those things. He knows it. He'll never be mocked. And the dead were judged by what was written in them. It says the sea gave up its dead. Death in Hades, which is the waiting place of those who are unrighteous. They'll go to a place where they wait now for the judgment of God. We go as Christians to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're going to do what it says in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be coming back with him, right? And it says here, And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is going to be the final, final, final deal here. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, when you read this, this is a reality. This is not a speck of dust on the line of eternity called your life. This is eternity. This is where some that we love, God forbid, will end up. This is why we enter into the field of harvest. Why? Because we know that if someone's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that at the end of it all, they will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. A place that was prepared only for Satan and his angels. See, Jesus came and brought redemption for humanity. He did. 
And what drives us as Christians, when you read this, to think about that this is literally the souls of men and women. The true fact that the dead are even going to be raised. Some people are going to experience two deaths. They're going to experience a physical death. What an unbelievable thing it is to experience physical death. We hate death. But these that are not written in the Lamb's book of life will not only experience the first death, they will also experience what the Bible calls as the second death. What an incredible motivation for Christians. See, we know the reality of this thing. I've done a gazillion funerals. A gazillion. And what I really would desire for the people of God is that that you would live your life in such a way that when a pastor is given the task of of, of sharing a word from from the word of God concerning your life, that he would be able to go to something like like, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and share with great zeal about this, this unbelievable life that was lived for Christ. That the people who knew you knew that you knew Christ. That your life was lived in such a way that it impacted the lives around you for the kingdom of God. So that when the last words are spoken over your earthly life, They're words of of absolute exhortation and celebration of the fact that we can know today, dear ma'am, dear sir, where brother or sister so-and-so is today. They are in the presence of Almighty God. That many of you here today are here because of the godly influence they had upon your life. That they lived their life in such a way that the light that began to flash in their life was an arrow that pointed to who? Jesus Christ. That's the kind of life that you want to live as a Christian. So some man does not have to get up and just say some mumbling words about your life, but that you lived it for the glory of God and for all eternity. That's the life you want to live for Christ. In all due respect, heaven doesn't need another angel. In all due respect, heaven doesn't need another hero. In all due respect, that's not how this thing goes. Not everybody goes to heaven. But in our Christianology, Christian theology of our day in America, we think simply believing in a God is what's going to make us right with God. It's not. Dear Christian, you've been called to such a high calling. Your calling is incredible. You will judge the angels. You will rule and reign with Christ here upon the earth. You will be coming with Christ when he comes. You will be in the throne room of God, thundering out this praise to God one day. But we will also see the multitudes, some of whom we probably will know, who will be thrown to the lake fire. This is not a joke. I'll be honest with you, most of Christianity in America today is a joke. And I'm telling you that as a pastor, it's a joke. Most of church, joke. People are dying every day and going to hell. This is why I am so burdened for our community and for the people you love. This is why I would rather preach truth to you and have you mad at me than for me to just give you a feel-good message every week and you pat me on the back and say I'm the greatest guy. 
Because for me, what matters more than anything else is that you know truth and that you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you there's some in here this morning that you're not there. And that breaks my heart to think that you come in week in, week out, and oh, you're learning about Christian principles and Christian values, but you don't know of this Jesus Christ. You've never drank of the living water. You don't know of this new birth. Some of you have been deceived by the enemy as a Christian. You think all it is is a belief in Jesus Christ. And yes, you were saved, but he didn't save you to leave you there. He saved you there to go to work in the fields in order that one day you will see what we all want to see coming before the throne of God. We have been invited to this incredible work. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to go one more place, and then I will close this morning. That's why we're doing this fall gathering. It's, it's one thing to go to another country and share the gospel, and I think that's good to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. It's easier to do that than it is to go to your own community and share the gospel. The truth is there's probably 70,000 people alone in Wichita Falls this morning that are not worshiping God anywhere in any place, shape, or form. Jesus says that his field is ripe for harvest. But we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers to go into the field. If every church in Wichita Falls would have this mindset, there wouldn't be anybody who's not heard the gospel. It's not about throwing out a shingle and saying, come here to our place. It's about us being the body of Christ and walking the streets and going to people and ministering and telling them the truth of the gospel. That's the glory of what we've been called to. Let me read this to you. I'm going to end with this this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to quickly read through this, and then I'm going to close. From now on, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, that's easy for me to do. Sometimes I judge people according to the flesh. Paul says we don't do that. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is emphatically a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some of your word says, all things have become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And listen to what Christ did. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. This is the beauty. Not counting their sins against them. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus Christ, God, does not count your sins against you? Oh, man, I am so thankful for that. And entrusting to us, listen to this. Let me say this. If there was anything that was the most valuable thing in all creation, I mean, some of you say, well, maybe the world's largest diamond or ruby or just give me gold or give me mansions or for me, just give me a massive ranch stocked with cattle and equipment new paid for. He says, mm, that's nothing. You have, Christian, listen, you have been entrusted with something. Not something that is fading away, not something that's here today, gone tomorrow. Christian, dear Christian, hear me this morning. God has entrusted you with the message of his 
son. Because when the hearse pulls up to this building and wheels your body down this concrete floor and parks it right here in front, everything you thought was so valuable here upon this earth is nothing. Listen. And he's already told us in his word, Christian, hear me. If you have ears to hear, hear what I'm telling you. This is going to be the benefits for you for eternity. Listen to me. You've been entrusted with Christ. Wow. All of eternity, all of creation was built and created on this. The son and the gospel of salvation was all from God's original plan. And he has entrusted it to jars of clay, you and me. Think of this. Oh, dear Christian, you, Satan has you so feeling so inadequate. Oh, my word, listen. This is what it says. The message of reconciliation. There's only one way for man to be reconciled to God, and it's not every road leading to him. Jesus said, I'm the way, truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. People want to know how to be reconciled to God. It's not that he is love. He is love or that he loves. He already demonstrated it. The message that we have to the world is the gospel of reconciliation back to a God that we have been cut off and separated from. And it's through the message of the believer sharing the gospel, sowing the seed, watering the plant. This message is what brings about salvation for those upon the earth. And you, Christian... And if the churches in our community could hear this, you've been entrusted with the gospel of Christ. It is the most cherished possession and gift of God ever given to anything and anyone. And he gave it to you to give it away to others. Do you see how incredibly valuable, important, and purposeful you are to God in his kingdom? Satan doesn't want you to live in the kingdom. He wants you to live in his kingdom. And that is the battle that we are in. And many Christians have been saved by Christ. They've been regenerated. But they're still living as if they are a part of this worldly kingdom. And Jesus says, oh dear loved one, I have raised you up for this work in this kingdom. Wow. Listen to this and I'm through. Therefore, we are ambassadors for who? Not one of your silly politicians. We are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, dear Christian. That's what we are. So Paul goes on and says this. For we implore you. After that, he says this. God is making his appeal. God's appeal to man. Guess how he's making it now? It says, through us. How is God saving people unto his kingdom and unto his salvation? Through the gift that he gave to every believer. Through you. I'm telling you, the harvest will not come in if the workers will not go into the fields of harvest. It won't happen. It won't happen. Now I'm going to close. And I'm going to do something different this morning.
Nothing new, I realize that. And I've got announcements that I need to share, but you know what? They are not important. What's important right now is this, dear friend. If this is who you are in Christ, and we're going to learn more about this in the next several weeks, do you understand what you've been given? The world and Satan would say, don't share that. No one wants to hear it. That may be true, but everyone needs to hear it at least once. If you're here this morning and you've been involved in religion and church, learning about Christian attributes and principles, but you have never been regenerated this morning, dear friend. I want you to be among the multitude that I see at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't want you to be one of the multitude who attended church and whose name has never been written in the book of life and will experience a second death for all eternity. And here, depart from me. I never knew you. This morning, I'm going to do something different. I don't, this is, there's nothing symbolic about anything. You can stay where you're seated or you can get up and come up here, but we're going to pray today. Maybe you just need to come and pray and say, you know, God, I, I really have been deceived. I didn't even understand how important my life really was to you. <laughs> I didn't understand that this is such an incredible thing. I thought it was all about a 401k retirement and uh, enjoying the rocking chair in old years. I thought that's what life was supposed to be about. No, it's way greater than that. I'm so glad that life is not a sum total of what society tells us it's all about. I'd be hitting every needle, every bar, every you name it if that's what life was about. Because that ain't nothing. But I have found what life is about. It's about living my life in Christ for his kingdom. And that is for every single Christian here. And every person here today, if you are not in Christ, listen, Jesus Christ died for you. He died for your sin which is going to be paid for by death one day. Either it was paid for by Christ and you receive that or it will be, be paid for by you one day at the judgment seat of God. But God has already provided this for you. Dear friend, will you by faith believe that today upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will, not maybe, but you will be saved at the moment you believe and trust in Christ. I am going to have everybody stand. We're going to pray. If you want to come forward and you want to pray, if you say, John, I need prayer. I want you to pray with me. I want us to just have a season of prayer. And if you need to go, dear friend, please go quietly this morning. If you're listening this morning by radio, if you're watching this morning, I, I want you to join in with us even right now as we pray. I'm going to pray. If anybody wants to come for prayer, come on up here. We're going to have a season of prayer. If you need Christ in your life, listen, you'll know it. The Holy Spirit will be beaten at your door right now. You're going to have a hard time standing where you're at. Why? Because God says, I want you. Come on. He already wants you. He already knows you. He knows your name, number of days, knows everything about you. He says, well, what about my sin? He already took care of that, dear friend. If you'll trust in him, you'll be covered by his blood and be placed in Christ this morning. If you want Jesus today, it doesn't matter if, Don, if Ronald Reagan or, excuse me, not Ronald Reagan, but Trump showed up today, you wouldn't care. Why? Nothing can keep you back from Jesus. Don't let Satan do it. Come to Christ this morning if you need Jesus. It is time for your salvation. Come forward at this time and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, there are those praying even now. 
And Lord, they, they have been opened today. They've, they've heard your voice today, God. They don't know for sure if they are even saved. I mean, they've been coming to church. They've been dunked in water. I mean, they, they don't know. But, oh God, if they're not, would you put a beating on their heart, Lord? May they know right now that the God of the universe that created them is thumping at their heart door. And they'll know when this is happening that you're simply calling their name out today. Lord, you promise in your word that anyone who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who trusts in Christ, will, not maybe be saved, but will be saved, Lord, because of Christ's work on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I know there's some here today that don't know you. I know that, and I know it takes a work of your spirit. That no man is just going to be saved because he just thinks about it. But if he's even thinking about it, you're already drawing him, God. So wherever these people are, if they're standing in here, if they're up front here, Lord, would you please, right now by your Holy Spirit, give them the assurance of this incredible gift of salvation that you have provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for the rest of our church, we do not want to be a typical church in America. We don't want to be a church that looks alive but is dead. We want to be a church that is being the body of Christ in a world that needs Jesus. And they'll never meet Jesus if we don't go out to where they are. So, oh Lord, God, I pray that you would send out workers into your fields. I pray that you'll prepare them, work them, use them, God. Lord, as we read these names, Lord, there's even maybe some today that right there in this moment, God, now they're one that's going to be singing this song in heaven and praising God. They've just now been added, God. Thank God for that. Lord, as we go into this community, And these surrounding communities, God, would you prepare the hearts of people to receive the gospel that they might be saved. And in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Amen. And amen. Wow, God is good. God is good.